Good morning. Now that I've finally got everybody's attention, right? Now, uh, welcome to Memorial Baptist Church. I'm glad that you're here. Um, we've got a special day today, and I'm, I'm thankful for all that God is going to do uh, this morning with us here in this place. Um, but if you're visiting with us, I just want to welcome you and, and tell you that I'm glad that you're here. And, um, you know, we serve a mighty God. We serve an awesome God. And, you know, in, in the book of Luke, it talks about Jesus sending the 70 out. And uh, it says that they returned with joy. And, um, you know, we've got a couple of things, a couple of victories that uh, I want to share with you. Uh, we had a, a good group of youth go to youth camp. And so uh, Jeff is going to come and tell us about that a little bit. And then uh, after uh, Jeff catches us up on the youth camp, uh, then uh, Gary Harris is going to come and share a little bit about their trip to Honduras. They just returned last night late. So they probably need to, like, you know, keep their eyes open. Um, but uh, they're here, and I'm, I'm thankful that uh, they come back uh, rejoicing. Uh, but, Jeff, would you come and, and share with us a, a snippet, a fingernail about uh, youth camp and uh, let us know what happened, all right? And then, Gary, when he's done, would you come up and share with about the trip to Honduras? Thank you, sir. Hello. We're back. We're alive. I have a voice, which is, I have a really bad reputation for losing my voice at youth events now. And I promise it's not because I yell at your kids a lot. That's not, that's not what's going on. But uh, we had a really, a really a great week at camp. Uh, we were gone Monday through Friday and uh, at Latham Springs. And uh, it was really just a great week for our student ministry um, to be bonded. I think uh, when you spend that much time like eating and sleeping in close proximity and everything that goes on with camp, uh, there's just a lot of quality time. We'll call it quality time. And uh, no, it really was great just to be with them um, in the Word every day, getting to worship together, kind of upload and share um, what the Lord is doing this week. Uh, I won't tell you all the stories because I think our students um, would love to share with you. So don't be shy to ask them. They may not run up to you and, and ask you first. But God did some really cool things this week. We had two students make decisions, um, which is awesome. That's worth clapping for. So, And uh, just seeing the, the closeness and kind of the, the honesty of our group enhance. And not that, not that they were dishonest before, um, but I think if we're being honest, we all have um, kind of some, some walls, some guards on our hearts because, you know, you don't like the more— the closer you get with somebody, the more ammunition they have against you, so they decide to use it that way. You know, because um, love and closeness is risky in that way, but it's cool to see the Lord move through that and our students be bold enough to share um, some personal stuff that, that God has been showing them or they've been struggling or they've been dealing with. And so I think um, coming back as a group that uh, you can't help but feel closer after that because we know relationships are reciprocal. There's a give and a take. And so um, if someone else is willing to trust you with something important to them, then in, in turn, you know that you can trust them with it. And so I think just um, having that, that bond is going to be really powerful for us this summer, going into the school year, and hopefully um, the rest of their time as students here at our church. Um, but we had a blast. There was a lot of funny stories as well. Um, like I said, our students, I'm sure they'd love to share them with you. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for, for sending us, for praying for us. Um, 
you guys are a big part of it. You're a reason we get to take um, as many students as we do. So thank you guys for, for partnering with us in that. Buenos dias. Or as Casey taught the youth from uh, Honduras, howdy, y'all. Uh, before I get started, I want to say if you understood either one of those phrases, you're equipped to go on a mission trip to Honduras. Because that's about all I knew when I went over there. Was, I didn't know the howdy, y'all, but I kind of knew Buenos Dias. Um, when I first, you know, my wife and I, it was our first mission trip. And we always wanted to go on an overseas mission trip, my wife more than me. Um, but there was always something that got in the way. There was always something that I could come up with why I couldn't go on a mission trip. But this time, God spoke to me and said, you need to go. Uh, you know. So I asked why. I said, you sure you want to go? And she said, yeah. And I told her something. So I said, well, let's pray on it and see if I can find a reason not to go. And I couldn't. No luck. <laughs> no luck. So uh, I started praying that when we go over there, that uh, we would, God would work in a mighty way over there. And he did. And I prayed that they would see Jesus through us. And I believe they did. And I prayed that we would just be a blessing to the ones we come in contact with. But I did not realize what a blessing they would be to us. I mean, it was just an awesome blessing. And again, I finally prayed for safety. And if you drove with me, you're, a lot of people pray for safety. Uh, it was just an awesome trip. Um, it's got, there is a heavy Catholic influence over there, and they believe in being saved by works. Uh, we basically had really two ministries going there. We were able to go out in the community and talk to some of the adults. And when I say go out in the community, I don't mean walking along the sidewalks and on the nice streets. I mean, it was uphill through dirt paths, and then when you think you're there, you walk uphill some more. I mean, it was, it was interesting. But we were able to uh, talk to the people there and see how they lived. And uh, thankfully, uh, some of us, not me, unfortunately, were able to lead uh, six people to Christ through the community. Uh, <clears throat> the, first, the first morning we were there, uh, not the first morning, uh, the first Sunday we were there, Joel preached at a church there, and two young men came to know the Christ. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. And then after one of the uh, services with the, the children, uh, Joel went and talked to some of the teachers, and three more people came to know Christ. <laughs> teachers, because they were seeing what was happening with the kids. Uh, and now let's talk about the kids. Uh, <laughs> they were just so amazing. Uh, when we first went there, we were kind of standoffish. You know, they were kind of curious about us, but they didn't want to really get real close. So uh, we talked to them, and every day we had uh, music, singing the songs, and the kids just had a blast doing that. And we told them a Bible story, and it, it, they just they loved that. Then they did the uh, outside activities, which was wonderful. Came in and did the Bible verse, uh, did crafts. Then at the end, uh, Joel would uh, use the advantage cube and tell them about the Lord. And the, uh, the first day, I think we had 80 kids that were there. And... Quite a few of them came forward. Not in the numbers, we don't know. Um, the second day, which just blew me away, uh, Haley, not Haley, uh, Caitlin used the uh, cube 
and there was 150 kids there. And she achieved told them about Christ, and they were all listening to her. Not like when Joe was talking, where half of them were, but they all focused on what uh, Caitlin had to say. And that just blew me away that she would even do that with that many kids there. And each day we grew closer and closer with, with the kids. And, uh, you know, it, the experience was awesome. The, um, the last day we were there, uh, we, we finished service uh, that Thursday evening. And as we were saying goodbye to everybody, and uh, it was kind of a sad time because we grew real close together with them. Uh, the last day there, uh, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, these are kids. Are, are they really getting it? And one of the boys there uh, wrote a letter to uh, uh, Greg and Joel, and uh, I was standing out there trying to get cool, and he ran up to me and gave me this letter, and he ran off. And I opened the letter, and it was a picture of the church and all our vehicles. And uh, in the letter, a couple of things he said is he thanked the, the, the missionaries from the north for coming down and helping his country. He asked that we pray for his grandmother because she was ill, and he knew that our prayers were powerful. And he said that, you know, he thanked us many times, and he said when he gets older, he wants to be like Solomon, wise like Solomon. And he wanted to be able to tell others and his brothers, his twin brothers, about Christ. And, you know, that's important because the last day there, his mother went forward and accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And I truly believe it's because of the work we did with the kids, with him, that his mother seen Christ in us. And the last thing that young boy, boy was in fourth grade, by the way, and uh, the last thing he said is, if it's possible for us to stay in contact with him, it would be great. And he gave us his number. So, uh, and, you know, if you've never been on a mission trip, you know, I've sat in here and heard people come back from a mission trip and say how wonderful it was, but if you've never personally experienced one, you will not see how powerful God is and how great he works, because our God is good and awesome. Amen. We do serve an awesome God. And uh, he loves us so much, and it's a, it's a blessing to be a part of, of what God is doing. Um, I want to, uh, we want to dedicate a baby this morning. And uh, this baby is, is one of our, from our newest members. And uh, Yvonne and, and, and uh, Chris, would you and your family... If you would, we have uh, in your bulletin an insert that is a blue paper like this. If you would take that out, um, this is going to be a participatory here in a little bit, and you're going to need to follow along with that. This is, this is Chris and his wife, Yvonne, and uh, this is Isaac Shadera Joseph. And, uh, you know, his, his name, Chidera, it means what God has ordained. It means what God has written, no one can erase. It's God's signature. It's the writing of God. And um, we want to dedicate him this morning. Uh, I believe he was born January 27th and of this year. And uh, so just a young guy. 
And, um, you know, we read Scripture, and in Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, uh, they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, it says, And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands upon them. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a hope and a future. Now, in this service of dedication, we do four different things. The first thing is we want to give thanks to God, the giver of life, for the gift of Isaac. Children are a gift from God. Secondly, we promise to teach Isaac the truths of the Christian faith and to live as true examples of Christ before him. We also ask for God's watch, care, and protection over Isaac, always and in every way. And in the event of untimely death, we ask God to receive Isaac into the glories of heaven. See, we believe that if we're going to dedicate Isaac, then there's a commitment that we have as part of that. That we have a commitment between us and Isaac and between us, Isaac, and God. This commitment, this covenant begins at home. It begins in the home with mom and dad and the family unit. And so, Christopher and Yvonne, do you in presenting Isaac in dedication to the Lord, do you confess your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you accept as your Christian duty and privilege to live before Isaac a life that becomes the gospel? to exercise all godly care that he be brought up in the Christian faith, that he be taught the Holy Scriptures, and that he learn to give reverent attendance to the private and public worship of Almighty God. Will you endeavor to keep Isaac under the ministry and guidance of the church until he, by the power of God, will accept for himself the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? I'd probably frown too. <laughs> now, Isaac, I dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Loving Father, I ask that you would bless Isaac. Father, that you would walk with him all of his days. Father, that you would 
fill him with your, your goodness. Father, that you would take care of every need that he has. Father, I pray your anointing upon him. Father, as we present him to you, we recognize that he belongs to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help him to be a blessing to his parents. Father, that he would be a blessing to his siblings, that he would be a, a blessing to their entire family. God, that he would be a blessing to your church. God, that you would use him in mighty ways. Father, to proclaim your excellencies. Father, we, we ask that you would receive him. And Father, that you would draw him and that you would walk with him, that you would allow him to have a very deep personal relationship with your son, Jesus. And Father, I thank you. I pray that his days on this earth would be long. Father, that you would provide for him even now a beautiful wife. Father, the same gift that he is giving to his parents, that you would bless him with children. Father, thank you so much for all that you are going to do and through Isaac, through his family. And we just dedicate him to you. Father, your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you already. Now, we're not quite done. We're not quite done. They've committed themselves to it. Now it's time for us to commit ourselves as a body to Isaac. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. I'm going to read the light print if you would read the dark print. Parents, grandparents, family, loved ones, I commend to you, uh, excuse me, I commend to your love and care, Isaac, whom we this day recognize as a member of the family of God. Will you endeavor to live so that he may grow in the knowledge and love of God the Father? Through our Savior, Jesus Christ, in communion with the Holy Spirit. With God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ, that Isaac, surrounded by steadfast love, may be established in the faith and strengthened in the way that leads to eternal Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this family. I thank you for this young one. And God, we recognize that you are, you are an awesome God. And Father, that you have given and entrusted this young life to, to Chris and to Yvonne, but also to their family and to us as a church family. Father, we recognize that and we acknowledge your presence among us today. And Father, we cannot do it without your help. And so God, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would help us to live lives that become the gospel. I ask, Father, that you would help each of us to do your will. Lord, we thank you for this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. May God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit bless, preserve you, and keep you now and forevermore, amen.
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. in worship all right if y'all would stand so that we can worship together through song this morning
If the ushers would please come forward to collect our morning offering. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, Lord, we just come before you humbled, um, God, just by the love that you have for us and, and just the grace that you've shown us, God. We thank you for um, just everything that you've blessed us with, God, but, but we pray that we would hold on to those things that you've given to us loosely, um, just like Abraham did with his son Isaac, God. Um, I pray that we would just have a heart to be obedient to you um, through giving back to you what's already yours in the first place. Um, God, I just pray that you would give us um, just open hearts to, to give freely um, as we give through offering this morning, God. I just thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand as we continue worshiping this morning. Praise His name forever. 
Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. God is good. You know, I love to hear God's people praising His name. It's beautiful. We can hear one another singing together. I think it's such a wonderful thing when we have... Uh, I'm so glad that we're part of a church that sends out. I mean, that, that um, you know, when we, we send people on mission, we send uh, students to camp, we, we send them out and, and, you know, they experience God in new ways. And it, it refreshes them, it refreshes us. And even though they're tired and they, they've had a long week, I, I want to say to them, we all have, okay? My staff was gone basically this week. We've all had a tough week. But, uh, you know, God is good and He provides and He takes care of us. And, and, and for that, we should be truly thankful. We should thank God for everything that He does for us. I would like to just pause and have a, a word of prayer and just thank Him for all that He does each and every day for each one of us. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for the freedom that we have to assemble and to worship you uh, the way our, our, our souls and consciences dictate to us. I thank you, Father, for all of the freedoms that we have in this great land. I thank you, Father, for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, that, that you have paid the price for us. Lord, I ask that you would just continue to let those flames burn brightly. The, the, the students who went to camp and were uh, revived there. Father, what a great experience just to spend some time with you. Lord, I pray that we would each experience that, a little bit of that every single day. God, that we would spend time with you. Father, I thank you for the team that went to Honduras. I thank you and praise you for their safe return. I thank you, Father, for the things that you did in and through them. I thank you for the people there that received Christ. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to show them what you desire them to do and to be. Father, show that to us. I pray, Father, as the, the coming weeks, as we hear the, the stories unfolding, that you would bring about a great revival in our church body. Father, we know that they return with joy. Father, seeing the things that you've done. And Father, I know that even in our lives, we see the things every day that you do for us. Father, we don't pause often enough to thank you. Lord, I thank you for the meals that you've provided for us, that we've, we've nourished ourselves, overnourished ourselves with. God, I thank you for the relationships that we have with one another. Father, I'm thankful for the relationship that we have with you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would just quicken our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you are welcome, not only in this place, but in the innermost of our hearts, that you would examine our hearts and show us, Father, those areas where we need to face the truth. I pray, Father, that you would help us do that. God, we love you. We thank you for being with us today. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And we ask this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. 
It's in His name we pray. Amen. You know, I'd like to uh, begin this morning and say that, you know, as the church, as the bride of Christ, we take our stand on the Word of God. I didn't hear very many amens. You want me to preach this morning or you want me to give a talk? See, we believe that it is true for faith, but also for practice, without any mixture of error. We believe God's Word. And I want to tell you this morning that we believe that the Ten Commandments are important. You know, a, a, uh, a certain benefactor of our church has engraved them on a piece of red granite out in front of our building out here. A piece of red granite, a piece of stone, lest we forget the rock from which we've been hewn. The rock from which we've been taken from. See, I firmly believe that we are living in the last days. And folks, these are trying times. And so taking nothing for granted, my desire this morning is to hand to you, for those who have never heard it and maybe oblivious to it, to hand to them, maybe for the first time, but for others to remind you and to encourage you. To remind you and to encourage you that we, as the body of Christ, have a charge to keep. We can't live any old way we want to live. Don't ever forget that. We have a charge to keep. This morning I want to I go through rather quickly the Ten Commandments. Maybe for the first time. You know, it would, be, it would be crazy to believe that, that people don't know what the Ten Commandments are. But I would, I would tell you that biblical ignorance in our day is astounding. We don't know the Word of God, and so therefore we don't keep the Word of God. And I can't say that we, as the body of Christ, have been any exception. But I want to go over this quickly, but I want to read in, in Exodus chapter 20, and then I'm going to jump a little bit to Romans chapter 8. But uh, in, in Exodus 20, it says then, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on the earth or beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. See, I would submit to you that these Ten Commandments reveal to us a great God. A great God. And these Ten Commandments, they're divided into two parts. Kind of the, the first part deals with our relationship to God. And the second part deals with our relationship to one another. But notice that God introduces himself as the Redeemer. The one who brought Israel out of Egypt. The one who delivered them. The one who, who took care of them and carried them, if you will, out of the land of Egypt. And they are to remember the Lord. But notice that he is an exclusive God. He's an exclusive God. You shall have no other gods before me. See, the ancient and the modern world are filled with little g-gods. He doesn't want any competition. He's not going to play second place to any of the things that we want to worship. He is an exclusive God. But I want you to know something. There ain't no God like my God. There ain't no God like my God. I'll say it in proper English. There isn't any other God like my God. You see, he's the one who brings us out. He's our redeemer. He's the one who breaks the chains. There's no other God like our God. He's an exclusive God. He is the one true God. Almighty El Shaddai. Verse 4 and 5 tell us he's a jealous God. A jealous God. And the purpose of this commandment is to forbid Israel and us from making and worshiping an image of something less. See, it emphasizes God's separateness from all of creation. I love that. See, bringing an image into worship leads to the image becoming and taking God's place. He is beyond that. He is so far beyond what we could imagine. He's not made with wood. He's not made with stone. He's not made with precious metals. He's not made with, with gemstones. He is a God who created all of those things. And He is a jealous God, and our allegiance belongs to Him. 
When I say a jealous God, I'm not thinking of jealous the way you and I think of jealous. Like two people that are, that are dating one another that get jealous of one another. You see, we, we serve a covenant God who has a covenant with us. And, and the bottom line is, you know, envy is wanting what belongs to someone else. But jealousy is wanting what genuinely belongs to you. We genuinely belong to God. And so he is jealous for us. He wants us. And he doesn't want second place. But you see, he's also a guarding God. I mean, verse 7, this command protects the name of Yahweh from profane use. I mean, whenever somebody wants to use the name of God, it should be done with thought and reverence. Not as a curse word. Not in vain. You know, you wouldn't want people using your name in vain either. Just to say your name or, or using it as a cuss word. See, he is reverent. He is guarding his name because he has such a great name. But in verse 8, he is the one true God that is worthy of our worship. He desires our worship and worshiping God on a special day acknowledges his ownership. We say, Lord, we belong to you. We can do all of our other stuff all the rest of the time, but today is your day, and you've set it aside, and we honor you today. You see, does anyone here realize that all of time belongs to God? And the reality is, is we don't know how much time we have. You know, nothing puts that in my heart greater than doing a, a memorial service yesterday for someone that is my age. That was born the same year I was born. And we see the shortness and the brevity of life. And we say, you know what, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But he, and he alone, is worthy of our praise. All of the created order belongs to God. You know, observing one day in seven symbolizes that setting apart. And because he created the world, and because he owns all of time, he is worthy of our worship. Listen, having a strong relationship with God will lead us to having a healthy self-concept of, of who we are. Because I belong to him. And in that, I, I know that he loves me. But it also helps in, in good relationships with other people. When we have the right relationship with God, it helps us in our relationships with our family, with our children, with our, our siblings, with our co-workers, with our neighbors. You see, this relationship helps us in these relationships. And when these relationships are bad, you probably ought to look at this relationship. Because it probably means there's a problem there. See, the second part of these Ten Commandments, they deal with human behavior. <laughs> and the first thing he addresses is the protection of the home. The protection of the home in verse 12. You see, the first duty that we have in the social sphere is to our parents. 
says, honor your father and mother. When this is ignored, when this is abused, the social structure collapses. Because you see, the family, the family is the foundation. It is the foundation of human society. He also addresses the sacredness of life. I mean, the Bible teaches us to reverence life. It says, do not commit murder. Don't kill one another. It's forbidden that that we take another life. And so every human life is sacred. And folks, we should honor that. It's not my words, it's God's word. Life is sacred. He created it. We also see in verse 14 the sanctity of marriage. He says there the Bible, it, it maintains monogamy for marriage and that means one man and one woman for a lifetime together. That's the way God set it up. Those are His rules. He desires that and to violate that intention undermines God's plan to bring, uh, and, and it brings injury and it brings grief and it brings guilt and it brings shame. See, God urges his people to protect the sanctity of marriage. Folks, that family unit is the building block of society and God designed it that way just like he designed us. He designed marriage that way so that we would be in communion with one another, but also with Him. And I don't care what our society says. I don't care what they come up with. If it doesn't match up with God's Word, it's not right. I can't embrace it. I can't accept it. Because it goes against God's Word. There are some things that are non-negotiable. And those things that are non-negotiable, you hang on too tightly. There's a lot of freedom, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. There's a lot of victory. But the things that are non-negotiable, you got to know exactly what you believe. I am so thankful that somebody put it on a rock out there. Because we need to hear it. He goes on and he he talks in verse 15 about the respect of ownership. The Bible recognizes the right of a person to accumulate material things. I love this because working, working for personal property is never condemned in Scripture. You got to have a job. Working is, is, is something that is honorable. According to scripture, taking freebies from everybody else is not. Those that don't work should not eat. Working is honorable. It's good to have a job. And the Bible says that respect of ownership has to do with that. If you want it, then work for it. Don't steal it from your neighbor. Work for it. See, God ordained that we work, that a society where people would respect the property of one another. And moving on, he says we need to have a regard for the truth. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. See, to live together in a happy relationship, society must have truthful people. I mean, think about it. Do you want somebody to be dishonest with you all the time? 
Do you want somebody to tell you half-truths and fill you with a bunch of lies? No. When it comes to us, we want, it, we want the truth. We want somebody to shoot straight with us. But maybe we don't do that for others. See, it goes both ways. If you don't want to be lied to, then don't lie to other people. Tell them the truth. See, nothing threatens the fabric of our society as much as disregard for the truth. Because this is truth. And if we disregard truth, where will we be? Where will we end up? I got a good idea. And I think you do too. Because we're really close right now. Verse 17 talks about controlling the inward thoughts. Controlling inward thoughts. Folks, we need this in a bad way. We need some, some spiritual and mental discipline to control the thoughts that we have. Just because you have the thought does not mean that you act on that thought. You allow the Lord Jesus to control those thoughts and you bring them all under subjection to Him, in obedience to Him. Well, I just felt like doing it. I just thought it was the right thing to do. Well, did you, did you weigh it against Scripture? Did you weigh it against what God's will says, what His Word says? Oh, man. See, these other commandments, they deal with outward actions, but this final commandment deals with our inward thoughts. And you see, God knows that a heart is deceitful above all things. And we can justify anything that we want to do. We must control those inward thoughts. Those inward thoughts that would cause injury to someone else. See, if we will apply these commandments to our lives, they guarantee that we will have self-respect. That as we rise and walk this earth, we can look people in the eye because we haven't lied to them. We haven't had bad thoughts toward them. We haven't stolen from them. We haven't, we haven't done those things. It gives us self-respect. But it also gives us an obedience to God. He set it up that way. And if we will do that, we will have healthy relationships with other people. See, we read in Romans Chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guilty. For all have sinned. That means all of us. I'm so glad that Paul didn't say some of us. I'm so glad that Paul didn't say a few of us. But he said all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we learn a little bit later that the wages of sin is death. Don't stop there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So folks, I want to give you the good news. We have the, the law, if you will. The things that we ought to do, that we should do, that we are commanded to do. But recognize this. God gave good news for all the people. That it will be joy for all the people. So I want to read in Romans chapter 8. 
I connect these two, and you'll see why in a moment. But it says there in verse 8, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is now, <laughs> hallelujah, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His Son, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Folks, I want you to understand this. That Jesus Christ, He won all the battles that I lost. He won all the battles that I lost. <laughs> I love that. And because of that, Romans 8 promises a comprehensive, personal victory in Jesus Christ. See, that vehicle... For this victory is the indwelling Holy Spirit of Christ, of, of, of God, the, the Holy Spirit. See, in the face of, of all of sin's guilt. Oh, we've felt guilty before, haven't we? We've all felt guilty. We've felt the guilt of sin. But in the face of the guilt of that sin, I experience no condemnation. No condemnation. I love that. Because it means that in the face of sin's power, I can experience personal liberation. Even though the power of sin is so strong, I can experience personal liberation. And you see this chapter in Romans, it gives us assurance that the ultimate security is our union with Christ. Because we are connected to Him. See, you can be free. You can be free from the, the, the guilt of sin and the power of sin through Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives that to us. You can't do it on your own. You can't will it. You can't say, well, I'm just not going to sin anymore. You can say, well, I'm just not going to feel guilty anymore. That's not going to cut it. It is only through the power of Jesus Christ that you can be free. You see, because in Christ, in Jesus Christ, you experience no condemnation. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. We experience no condemnation. I mean, that to me is important. Because when I think about this, this fact that is presented in, in verse 1, there is, there, na, there is now no condemnation. I mean, that means that there's no pending death sentence. And there's no execution of that death sentence. I love that. Because the emphasis rests on the word no. N-O. It doesn't say there is a little bit of condemnation. It says there is no condemnation condemnation for those who are in 
Christ Jesus. I mean, in no way whatsoever, in no way whatsoever will we as believers face condemnation. We won't ever face condemnation. I mean, we're not waiting for the final bad news. We already have the final good news. And that is Jesus has made a way. This resumes what the Apostle Paul has already said in Romans 5, verse 16. He says, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Verse 18 says, so that... So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Folks, that is great news. Jesus himself gives the beautiful assurance of this, that whoever hears and believes in him will not be condemned. He says that in John 5. Verse 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Hallelujah, I'm not going to get what I deserve. Because I can't keep the law perfectly. I'm not going to get what I deserve because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And in those who are in Christ, you experience no condemnation. But notice this. The greatest stress is on the finality of this fact. There is now. Not there will be. Not there was. But there is now No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the now is all of the time since the mighty deed of Christ. Since he bled out on the cross and died for us. Now there's no condemnation. See, that word embraces all past sin, all present sin, and all future sin. It embraces all of that. And as a practical matter, the Christian should never feel condemnation. My sin's been paid for. If you know Christ, your sin has been paid for. There is no condemnation. He took care of that on the cross. Now sometimes, a Christian may feel conviction. And that may be like the the, the fatherly correction, which results in in repentance and, and renewal. But the idea is we're not going to be condemned to hell. We're not going to be condemned for our sin. Jesus Christ paid the price. And so those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. See, we should refuse to feel that condemnation. We're in Christ. He paid it all. You see, in Christ we also experience personal liberation. Folks, you need to understand that the reason that I preach is because I've experienced it myself. firsthand. The liberation that comes in Jesus Christ. 
See, one basis for the lack of condemnation is the increasing sense of liberation from the power of sin. Hopefully sin's grip is getting less and less on me. As I'm, as I'm growing in Christ and, and learning more what it means to be in that position, to be, to be a, a child of His, to be saved by the blood, to be washed in that blood, to be cleansed and free from that guilt, it releases the power of sin in my life. I can tell the enemy, not anymore. It's not going to happen. I don't belong to you anymore. I belong to Him. And that liberation helps us in life. You see, it's the believer has moved from one governing power to another. I don't belong to you anymore. From one dominant influence to another. From one activating factor to another. Enemy, I don't serve you anymore. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no power here over me. I belong to Him. You see, the believer is liberated from an old principle. The law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. Like spiritual gravity. Think about this. Like spiritual gravity, the law of sin and death, it pulls every human down. Because we know that we break the law. We know that we don't live according to it perfectly. And it drags us down and it pulls down on us. And like spiritual gravity, it pulls on us. And the Ten Commandments, they describe the sin. But they cannot deliver us from the sin. In fact, knowing the commandments of God sometimes aggravates and inflames the reality of sin. See, that leads to a vicious cycle. Because we sin, and we feel that guilt... And we want to deaden it, and so we sin some more. And then we feel that guilt, and so we, we want to deaden it, and so we sin some more. And it's a vicious cycle where we continue to sin, and we, we, we get caught up in that, and we can't let go of that. It's that spiritual gravity that keeps me from, from jumping high, from doing what God wanted me to do. And so it holds me here on earth. You see, but... We've been liberated from that old principle of the law of sin and death. But you need to understand something. Absolutely no one can liberate themselves. You cannot pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need a deliverer. You need a redeemer. You need Jesus. In order to be free from that. You see, Christ liberates us with a new principle. The law of the spirit of life. I love that. Verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. <laughs> I love that. I mean, because when the Holy Spirit enters a life, there is a new regulating, a new activating, a new energizing power. And we struggle. A new energizing power. And this life energy does not destroy the law of sin and death. But it enables us to overcome that downward drag of the law. Okay, like launching a rocket. Like launching a rocket 
uh, uh, it, it enables a payload <laughs> to overcome the power of gravity. The Holy Spirit of God allows us to be free from the law that drags us down and says we cannot do it. See, Christ lifts you above the old law. That doesn't mean you're going to live a life of perfection, but it means that you are no longer unresisting and ineffective in the fight. You see, in Christ, we see God's ultimate intention. I'm almost through. In Christ, we see God's ultimate intention. We ought to recognize the inability of God's law. Since Christ, we have a new covenant. Since Christ, we have a Redeemer. It is impossible for the law of God to change human behavior. When I say that, see if this doesn't ring true. It is impossible for the law of God to change human behavior. The law defines sin. It describes punishment, but it cannot it cannot change behavior. You see the speed limit sign. You know that if you, got, if you get caught speeding, that you're going to pay a fine, a $200 ticket probably. But it doesn't change your behavior. Those signs are posted everywhere, and they still stop people because the law does not change human behavior. There's got to be a change on the inside. That's what changes human behavior. The indwelling Holy Spirit that says, hey, Ridge, you need to watch your speed, not because you're going to get punished, but because it's the law. You need to follow that. Ridge, you need to, not, you need to be honest with people, not because of the punishment, but because it's the law. Ridge, you shouldn't covet your neighbor's things. Not because of the punishment, but because it's the law. You see, when I have that inward energizing power, it allows me to bring every thought into subjection under the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, that's what we need. That's what we need. I mean... Look at it this way. The law is like a mirror that we look into and we can see that we still have some of that ice cream cone with the waffle cone that we had yesterday on our face. You know, confession's good for the soul. We have it on our face, but the mirror can do nothing to take that off of our face, to wash our face, to cleanse it. See, that's what I'm saying. The law shows us where we fall short, but it is powerless to cleanse it, to get rid of the, the, the junk in our life. You can memorize the Ten Commandments. You can memorize the Sermon on the Mount. But you're not going to change your behavior merely by knowing the law. But that's why this passage is so good. I think it's important that we know the law. We can't obey the law if we don't know the law. But we need to know the law so we can obey the law. 
But this passage tells us that we should understand the ability of our Lord. What the, the law was weak to do, was not able to do, our Lord is able to do. See, God sent his son in the flesh to accept our liability, this fleshly body. Oh, it makes us weak. The body is willing, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Scripture tells us that. The flesh is weak. It gives me comfort to know that Christ started with the same unpromising, unsuitable material that I did in my life. But you know what? He faced all the same needs, all the same temptations, all the same weaknesses. But in the arena where I lost, he won. He won. On the battlefield where we are defeated, Christ is the victor. And in the match that he entered, 